Good to see you here. My name's Lloyd. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to see you. Uh, we are going through a series um, at the moment, uh, talking through the values of our church. And so we are doing uh, that this morning. And we're going to be talking about um, interdependence. So I wonder if you have ever stopped to think about the threads that make up your own life, the strands of experience, relationships, and choices that are woven together in you to create the fabric of who you are today. Each thread is unique and distinct, but when woven together, creates something beautiful and complex. I wonder if you were a series of threads in your life, what would you see yourself as? An old but comforting Christmas jumper? An elegant and striking cashmere scarf, perhaps? What happens when those threads become frayed or we begin to unravel? In a world uh, that values individualism and independence, we often forget the power and beauty of interdependence. It's very countercultural. It seems almost strange. But what if we were supposed to be woven together? The threads of our lives and who we are were not supposed to remain its own garment, but knitted and interwoven to create something bigger and more beautiful, that protected, warmed and comforted, beautified countless others and symbolized a kind of unity that was larger than ourselves. In Philippians, uh, the Apostle Paul reminds us of the importance of interdependence. He speaks of it um, in lots of different ways. He never names it, obviously. Um, but he writes from a place of imprisonment, yet this letter is filled with joy, with gratitude, um, with encouragement for the rest of the believers in Philippi. And so as we explore this letter together, we will see how the threads of their lives were woven together, even in the midst of hardship, to create, to create a beautiful tapestry of faith and of love. So here's the question I want to begin with. How do we go from individual threads to being knitted together into a beautiful tapestry? How do we go from individual threads to being knitted together into a beautiful tapestry? There's a clue I've given you already. It's interdependence, right? <laughs> According to the dictionary, it's a mutual dependence or interreliance on others and on each other. Sounds fine, sounds well. But I think Paul in this letter to the Philippians does a great job of actually painting the picture. Instead of giving us a, a dictionary definition, he paints a picture of interdependence. And I think it's always easier to see in action, so that's what we're going to do. Look at this snapshot that he gives us of this beautiful tapestry that's being woven in this group of people in Philippi. So this morning, I'd love you to see interde interdependence, easy for me to say, as interwoven characters, interdependence as interwoven challenges, and then interdependence as interwoven commitments. Okay, so characters, challenges, and commitments. And that these are actually part of a bigger interweaving that God does. So let's pray together as we begin. Lord, we're grateful that you are Father, Son, and Spirit, united in love. Would you unite us in your love uh, to see this welcome that you call us um, into um, as a gift to us, both a gift uh, and a challenge to overcome, but that in 
allowing ourselves to be drawn into to your life of love, that something beautiful and significant happens in us and through us and among us. Would you help us to see that you are God with us, that you are God who reveals himself, works in us and draws us near, that we might draw near to each other and reflect your love to each other and to this world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So firstly, interdependence as interwoven characters. When we talk about interdependence as interwoven characters, we're talking about the ways in which our lives are intertwined with the lives of others. It's like uh, we're all part of a great big tapestry, as I've said, with one master weaver at work. Our stories are intertwined. Characters are interweaved. And I love how the Philippian church started. We had it read earlier on. In Acts, uh, we read of some of Paul's ministry. Uh, we see that he meets Lydia, a dealer of purple cloth who became one of the first converts to Christianity in Europe. She was a dealer in purple cloth. Now, I learned this fairly recently, but purple was a very expensive color or dye because it was made from a very rare type of um, snail. So uh, it was hard to find, and so purple was seen to be a rich person's color. And so it meant that Lydia was most likely a woman of means and influence in her community. She was in the cloth business, but it was an expensive cloth. Paul was a gruff, hardened former Pharisee and tent maker in his spare time. Lydia's cloth was weaved and interconnected for beauty and prestige, while Paul's tents were woven and connected together for practicality and protection. And both their lives came together at Philippi. She had been a worshiper of God, but God uh, worked in her life. Paul spoke about Jesus, and she was baptized, her and her household, and she opened up her home to Paul and his friends. It says that she persuaded him to stay with her. Come stay at my home, they might have gone. Thank you, Lydia, but that feels like it'd be a little too much. We've only just met you. No, please come. You just baptized me. I have a huge house. You'd be most welcome. Once again, thanks so much, but we've already pitched a tent. I actually made that tent, um, and it's actually quite luxurious for tents. I can sell you some, but for now, I think we're going to be okay there. Then finally, the perfectly formulated guilt trip. Paul, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. Okay, you persuaded us. Timothy, look, pack up your things. We're headed to Lydia's house. Sometimes people do need to be asked three times. It's not just the Asian folks among us who, who need that, but perhaps Paul was like that too. He needed persuading. We see throughout Philippians, Paul talking about his fellow workers and his companions in the gospel. It's such a personal letter. He's constantly thanking them for their partnership, their support. He's praying for them. He's encouraging them. He talks about lots of people. He names some specifically, and others he calls like the true companion, as we had read in our, in our, in our passage. Some are unsung heroes. Some are explicit. He talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus. But some he talks about just in the background, who are serving, who have been uh, threads and, and, and glue in the community. And he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus in chapter 2. In uh, 2, 19 to 24, he writes, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, 
that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Do you see how uh, much Timothy values, uh, Paul values Timothy and the work they've done together? He says that there's no one like him who, who cares for the Philippians as much as, as he, he would. And he was like a son to Paul. And that's the kind of deep connection that we're talking about when we talk about interdependent as interwoven characters. Their lives were, were drawn together because they were brother and sister, brother and uh, they were brothers or father and son. There was a familial relationship that came because of their oneness in Christ. And even though Timothy, we are told elsewhere, was timid and shy and didn't like to put himself out there, Paul took him under his wing and cared for him and mentored him. I'm reading a lot, um, a bit about Christian, uh, in Christian literature about um, how our young people need that intergenerational kind of care and relationship. It suggests that um, our young people don't need hip and trendy groups where they meet once a week so that they can hang out with their peers and realize that Christianity is not uncool. What they actually need are several adults in their lives who are not their parents who love them, who care for them and model intergenerational care to them. And so sometimes when we feel like we don't have time for these relationships, actually we shouldn't see it as, as time being taken away, but how can we actually invest in some of these relationships that, 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 that feed into the relationships and the families that we have? The person that springs to mind for me uh, was someone called Dick. Uh, he's in Glasgow, he's still there. He was huge when I was growing up. He was always, he's still taller than me now, but he was huge, tall and wide, actually, and this way. He would hug me every time I saw him, and because um, I didn't really experience hugs in my family, I was like, I'm engulfed by this huge man, and I don't know what to do with it. I can barely breathe because of his, his protruding belly and uh, his scratchy, woolly jumper. I'd be cared for him, encouraged at how he would bounce on the spot when he spoke about Jesus to me and to others, and how he talked about prayer as just talking to God. I have been interwoven with him. His care kind of lives in me now. Who is that for you, I wonder? Who are you grateful you have been interwoven with, who is a part of your story, who is a character in this book of life that you have been uh, written into? Who's done that for you in the past? And I might add, who might you see yourself being interwoven with in the future or in the present, who might look on that relationship in the future as hugely formative for them in their journey? Who can you be interwoven with as you seek to grow in that interdependence with them? So that's interdependence as interwoven characters, okay? Next, interdependence as interwoven challenges. As we continue to explore the fabric of interdependence, we must acknowledge that while it can be beautiful, a beautiful tapestry, Lloyd, yeah, we see that sometimes, but 
sometimes not so much. In fact, it can be downright challenging at times. As we see in Philippians, doing life together can be challenging. It can be difficult to truly rely on one another, especially when facing hardship. Epaphroditus, a member of the Philippian church, fell ill while ministering to Paul during his imprisonment. And this illness was not only a physical challenge for Epaphroditus, it was also emotionally and mentally hard for both him and the other believers as well. And so Paul writes in Philippians 2, 27, indeed he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. The Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus with a gift, and he was ministering to Paul because he was in need, and then he gets ill, and Paul's like, oh no, please get better. Please, I don't want you to fall more ill than you are. His heart was was heavy with with the illness, the potential consequence of the illness to Epaphroditus. And that's the reality, isn't it? When we love, when we interdepend on other people in our lives, it's hard because they might leave. Something might happen to them. They might get ill. Loving people always has the risk of loss. And that's hard, but sadly, the only alternative is not to love at all, and actually that leaves us weaker and more needy in many ways. There is a a challenge to interdependence because there is risk. And that reminds me, and it brings to mind, uh, with some tears, I guess, of of Don. Don Lewis, our our late friend, brother, mentor, confidant, who was someone in our congregation that many people leaned on, who depended upon. I chatted with a friend um, from the UK this last week. And uh, he said that he so deeply missed Don that he'd found no one, not even several people, who'd been able to fill the gap of mentorship and friendship that Don had given him. He'd been looking. He's telling me about the different people he's been like pushing doors with and maybe like, oh, nudging. He just said that he's just no one. And as we chatted through, my friend didn't think, oh, I wish I hadn't known him because life without him now is hard. No, we ended up coming to the place where We asked and prayed at the end, God, help me to be that kind of mentoring person that Don embodied in my life. God, help me to have his legacy be something that has ripples for for generations to come rather than just stopping with me. I would listen uh, without care and agenda despite all my letters and credentials after my name. I wouldn't lord that over people, but but people would come and, and be welcomed and, and also engulfed in a big bear hug with a scratchy woolly jumper as well. Interdependence is hard because dependence is hard. Have you thought of that? Interdependence is hard because dependence is hard. I mean, it shouldn't be that difficult to see, but we struggle with it. Trusting others requires vulnerability. The alternative is independence, but that's not all it's cracked up to be, folks, is it? My cousin told me he only trusts in himself, and he said that years ago as a as a as a strength, as a as a pat on the back to himself. But that's not made him freer. 
not made him wiser. It's made him shrink over time. Individualism promises very much, but delivers very little. We all need each other, and we're all woven together in a complex web of, of relationships and connections. And when we acknowledge this, we can begin to embrace the challenges of interdependence and actually enter into some of those challenges because it forges something different in us. I spoke with um, a colleague at my other work um, last, this last week. She's from Northern Europe, and we were talking about the differences between um, uh, relationships here and back home for her. And she said the difference was you kind of knew where you stood with people back home for her. You, um, you went through hard things and it forged something together. And after that, you knew that you were bound together in ways that you didn't need to name anymore. Interestingly, she said, um, what's strange for her here is that uh, you don't know where you stand with people and you kind of walk through life a little bit with them and then and something happens and they say, oh, would you be my bridesmaid or would you be a godparent for my kids? And you're like, oh, she does like me. <laughs> There's something about being forged in, in, in relationships and in, in relationships when things are hard that um, does something uh, to relationships. I think oftentimes we think that we need to kind of stay away from relationships when things are hard, but what if actually we were needing to lean in more into that interdependence when things are hard? That that forges something new and different in that fire, in that difficulty that, that wouldn't otherwise come. What if that was part of why in Vancouver it's so hard to get beneath the surface, why it feels so hard to kind of build some of those deeper relationships? Because we don't allow ourselves to, to kind of say this is hard or to work through stuff with people. And so that's interdependence with interwoven characters and with challenges. And now finally, interdependence as interwoven commitment. The third point is about interwoven commitment. As those who follow Jesus, we are called to make commitment to one another. With different characters, with different challenges, communities will only function and survive if there is a, a certain level of, of commitment, of turning up, of being here, of being in each other's lives. If, as soon as an awkward person walks into the room, or in here, or a challenging situation arises and people say, see ya, or just slope off without telling you, which happens as well, then nothing is going to grow, let alone thrive. Commitment is sticking around, it's stickability, it's in a way being stuck with each other. But let's be honest, that isn't easy, is it? Not at all. It's hard and it's countercultural. Um, practically, it's hard. Experientially, it's hard. I think theoretically, it's easy to think that um, it's easy to be generous in our own heads. Um, we see that it's good to forgive in community. Then we have to actually do it ourselves, and it's like, oh, that's harder than I thought. That's easier said than done. You see, in, these, uh, in this community, 
uh, lots of things were happening. It was real. Uh, don't we see our, ourselves in some of the, 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 the conflicts, the positives, the negatives of this community here? Paul calls um, a particular pair of, of, of people to, to come together. He says in 4 verse 2, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul calls them to be of the same mind, to reconcile our differences, to forgive. But did it happen? Maybe. Maybe not. Potentially it happened. Hopefully it happened. We can't answer that, but we might be free to say this. The degree that w- to which they managed to forgive, to be of the same mind, would be whether they were able to do that in the Lord. Did you see that? It talks about being of the same mind in the Lord. They would only be able to do so if they saw a bigger picture. The bigger picture of the Lord's commitment to them. That's why I had read at the end of chapter 3, right before Paul's call for them to be of the same mind at the beginning of chapter 4. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everyone, everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies, that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, I plead with you, Yodia and Syntyche, be of the same mind in the Lord. They would only be able to commit to each other, to compromise and move forward together, and to be of one mind in the Lord if they saw how committed the Lord Jesus Christ was to them. He came the first time in self-giving, fully committed love. He will come again, returning from heaven to remake earth and renewing us and our bodies in the process. He is committed to us, making us fully like him, interweaving himself with us, transforming our lowly bodies that they would be like his glorious body. He is so committed to us that he fully remakes remakes us into his likeness. That's how much he is committed to us. He will make us imperishable, inconceivably glorious, incandescently bright because he is committed to us. So Euodia and Syntyche, come on. You don't need to agree on all the facts. You don't need to see the narrative in exactly the same way. You don't need to be best buddies even. You just need to see the commitment of Christ to you and how he calls you to commit to him by committing to them. You just need to see the commitment of Christ to her and how Christ sees her in order to commit afresh to her as your sister. This is what it is to have the same mind as that of Christ Jesus. This is what it looks like to have our names jointly written in this book of life. This is what it looks like to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yodia and Syntyche, would you do that? 
computer's fireside. We do that. Because in Philippians 2, 5 to 8, Paul writes, and your relationships with one another have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility is not the antithesis of divinity. Actually, humility expresses divinity, we're shown here. Actually, when we're humble, when we kind of lower ourselves um, rather than, than, than raise ourselves up over people, uh, we are becoming like what God became for us. This creed that uh, Phil preached on a couple of weeks ago is central to the letter to the Philippians. Um, it sings throughout the letter. It echoes through it all. It's to be central to that church. It's to be central to our church. That We are to have the same mindset of that of Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing, became a servant, was born as a human baby despite being God, humbled himself, died for those who wanted to kill him, and died on a shameful cross. And so here, Christ is that ultimate model of interdependence through his self-giving uh, commitment to us. In his incarnation, he interweaves his commitment to us. The wild claim is this, that he's in heaven now, alive. But not just that, that he is God and human. That something changed when he came to this earth that changed who he is now, that he still has perhaps uh, those scars on his hands because he was changed by what he did, how he came to us. And that he is interwoven with our lives and who we are now in profound ways, wild ways. But that's how much he is committed to you, how much he is committed to me. So how can we do this? Let me give it a go. Let me try and share some of the ways in which that might be the case. Rest in Christ's commitment to you. His desire for you to know that more and more, his desire for you to believe that you belong to him and therefore belong with him and therefore belong in his church. Some of you have struggled with commitment before because it has been lacking in your own life. Important people in your life who were supposed to be committed to you were not, and so it's hard. We're to rest in Christ's commitment to us. Because only by experiencing the fullness of his commitment, the bigness of this tapestry, will we live from a place of fullness and engage others in that fullness. What if Jesus wants to express his fullness and commitment through us? What would it look like to begin your thinking and your planning and your deciding from the standpoint of Jesus' commitment in your life? Encouragement is this, always begin with the plenty of God. Face life with all you have in Christ rather than all the problems and all the needs and all the difficulties. Always begin with your standing in Christ and his commitment to you. You have rivers of living water, Christ in you, committed to heaven and back. I read uh, with my kids that book, Guess How Much I Love You. That's how much he loves us. To heaven and back. To earth and back. 
He comes again. He comes to show us how committed he is from us. Now, when this happens and Christ um, is here, then and, and, and Christ is, is the one who we realize is committed to us, then things can grow. For many of us, we want to kind of make Christ the priority, the top of our list, but it's tiring. Because if he's just at the top, then he can become second or fourth or last. He ends up being another thing to keep on top of. What if he was not supposed to be the priority? Or what if he's not even supposed to be on that list, but that he's supposed to be central? You have to take your busyness, your tasks, your relationship as spokes in a wheel with him at the center, as the hub, with his commitment to you shaping how you see everything else. What if that was a different way uh, to see how he wants to interact with, with you, not just as a priority, not as in third on the list, but as the center from, which, from whom you were able to enter into the world and all the other things that are going on in your life? What if he was central to all of that? You see, we can only be truly committed to others because of Christ's commitment and faithfulness to us. We can only receive from him first and then believe that it's possible for us. Interdependence is hard because people are at different places with this, aren't they? People come from different cultural backgrounds with different assumptions about community and closeness. And we have different personalities too and, and, uh, and different life situations. And so it's hard to stand up here and give a blanket um, exhortation really to, to all of us because we're all at different places. Some of us need to be told, stop saying that you don't have time for this. We've, got all, we've all got the same number of hours in the day, so you need to readjust your other priorities in light of Christ. You need interdependence and community and not more Netflix or overtime or study. Get planning. <laughs> Others need to be told, you're in a season of life right now where you're maxed out. Kids are at that age, your parents are sick, work is crazy in this particular season. Be kind to yourself and ask Jesus what it means to have him be central. Allow enough space for his spirit to show you how to keep him central and to ride out this season. Don't feel guilty about not being as interdependent as you'd like, but move in the direction of building that into yourself so that it's not a chore, but a gift. That in the next season, when it comes, it, there will be that sense of interdependence rather than just living on your own again because things are rosy and I'll just do it by myself again. Still, others need to be told. You're expecting too much from other people. You're expecting from them what only Jesus can give you. Your demands are pushing people away and causing them to be unable to support you. They want to, but it's too much. And boundaries are put in place to, to help serve them, but also with you. Ask Jesus what healthy interdependence from others looks like. And as we learn to do this as a community, as we give each other grace, as there is a back and forth as to what this looks like, we begin to have interdependent lives that allow us to see ourselves as Christ sees us and then seeing others as Christ sees them. And this will make a difference in a city where many are here initially looking for sun-kissed beaches and snow-capped mountains, but realize that they need more than this. They need something deeper. They need something more and want connection, relationship, and depth. 
Might we be a community that offers that and begins to see that in our lives in new ways so that people can be welcomed into that. So here are some quick fire ones, uh, suggestions. Join a community group. If you're in one, talk with your group about what real interdependence looks like for you guys. It's hard, isn't it? So we need to have a dialogue about that. We can't just do a top-down thing. Just everyone rely on each other. We'll be great. It doesn't work like that. Work on being interdependable. I'm just making up words left, right, and center here. <laughs> what, practice what it looks like to, do, to ask for help. To be dependable. To depend on others. Like, we can practice this. It's not that some people are really into this and can do this. And others can't. No, we can grow in this. We can practice this. We can do that together. Thirdly, practice unasked for kindness, which looks like encouragement and help. That's what someone told me was hard about not having family in Vancouver. There was no unasked for help. She could ask for it and people would say, oh, let me know how we can help you. But she'd always feel guilty. It made her feel like a burden when she asked for help. I wonder what it'd look like for us to be uh, those who gathered around like family when people struggle. I've been convicted that sometimes I ask, oh, how can I support you? Or let me know if I can help. And really I'm like, oh, I just want to put a little bit of distance here so it's on them to kind of ask me, right? Could we start and learn, Lloyd, yourself, to, to give unasked for help and encouragement and kindness? Instead of waiting and saying, oh, do, do they need anything? Just, just do it. Number four, have conversations with those close to you and be explicit about what you'd love to see in your relationships with them. Roger Revel was the first person to do this with me when we both studied in the UK. He was a um, pastor here previously. Now he is in America. Um, he sat down with me after a couple of times of hanging out uh, when we were studying together and he said, I appreciate your friendship, Lloyd, and I think we should do this regularly. So I'd love to hear more about your story. So why don't you share that next time when we meet and you can tell me about your family and your background. I'd love to hear more. I thought, who is this man? <laughs> Americans are so weird. Why would he say that? Why would he make explicit what is supposed to be implicit? Do not do that. It's very strange. But I got over it and we've been fast friends ever since. And because of his willingness to ask explicit things and to say this is what we should do allowed things to open up for me that I had hidden and, 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 and buried, I guess, for years and actually sharing that and, and confessing and, and, and dreaming um, allowed me to begin to open up things that, that, that I had not even known were, were there. Since then, I've been the one who's asked for conversations uh, asked for that in conversations, asking another family if we could meet every month to hang out together on the first Saturday of the month. It was awkward, but I got over it, and we've met every month since. And because of that, uh, something has generated. Something has come that's interconnected. And be clear in these conversations. I was chatting to, yeah, uh, chatting to, to, to different people about um, how uh, that unspoken thing can be, can be difficult. Um, and you're tiptoeing around, oh, are they busy, are they not? Uh, can I really rely on them? How do I do that? Maybe we can be um, explicit 
to be clear is to be kind. And that might mean having a conversation like this and saying, I'd love to ordinarily, but I can't right now. I'm maxed out. I'm sorry. I can't do that right now. At least that person knows and they're not hanging on the you know, end of the text message wondering, oh, are they free today or not? You can actually establish that and you can do that together. You see, as we try and practice this, as we do this together, there are some needs only you can see, some hands only you can hold, some people only you can reach. And that's not everyone, and that's okay. But how are we to be independent? How can you do that? Would you pray about that and what next steps might look like in this season to see how dwelling in Christ's commitment to you might affect your commitment to others? How might it look for you in this season of your life? There are various seasons going on in the life of our church right now. Uh, some hard, some easy. Another season right now is Lent. Lent is a time of, of reflection and repentance where we examine ourselves in our relationship with others and with God. To let go of some of those selfish desires and embrace the sacrificial love of Christ. Also just to say, Lord, I need you. I want to dwell in, in your commitment to me. Would you do that in, in us? And so to close, the fabric of interdependence is a beautiful tapestry woven together by the interwoven stories of God's people, the challenges they face and the commitments they make to one another because of Christ's self-giving love. So as we journey together, we are meant to uh, be interdependent, not to do it alone, but to rely on one another, to lift one another up in love and grace. So let's look to him as we do that, learn from him, dwell in him, and allow his interweaving with our stories shape and, and, and mold and, and, and be woven into our tapestries as a community, as individuals, as family together. Let's have a moment of quiet and then we'll pray together.